0: Welcome to the Back in Action podcast. Are you a weekend warrior, a current or former high-performing athlete, or do you just have questions about what a chiropractor can do for you in a rehab setting? Here, we'll dive into the world of chiropractic and exercise rehab and how they both can be utilized to get you back in action.
1: All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Back in Action podcast. Tonight, Austin will not be with us because uh, he decided that other things were more important um what a jerk but anyways uh tonight we have a guest with us Dr. David Newton um he's gonna give a brief intro and then we're just gonna dive right into things because we have a lot to unpack tonight so go ahead David without further ado take it away
2: okay uh so as Bridget said I'm Dr. David Newton I'm a chiropractor practicing out of the Denver Colorado area uh, I graduated from the University of Western States back in 2013. I've been practicing out here since then. Um, big part of my practice as a chiropractor has really been trying to change the general public's perception of what this profession can be and trying to implement different different techniques as far as trying to get people better. I'm a huge proponent for movement. I'm a huge proponent for people taking an active role in their recovery and their own health and really just trying to create a shift as far as how people view this profession as not just fat crackers but more so people that can help in many ways with patients that are dealing with musculoskeletal type issues so that's been a big passion of mine is to not only help people but help to educate other practitioners and other people in this same space uh, in ways to you know, further their careers
1: as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So going off of those musculoskeletal conditions that you say, uh, that you said you deal with, um, what are some of like the best approaches that you've came across in treating those conditions? Because I know in our mentorship program, we've kind of discussed how that's kind of a gray area a little bit in terms of, um, you know, using manual therapy as more of an adjunct and all that. Um, so how do you approach conditions like that, that you're faced with,
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, you described it as a gray area. And I think that's a really kind of good way to view this, because I think when a lot of people ask these types of questions, um, we, we try and think of different technique systems, we try and think of specific protocols, very direct ways to treat patients. And I think for myself, I'm always trying to approach each patient in a way that is going to best serve them and best meet them where they're at, at that point in time. So it's one of those things where I, it, it's hard to give very specific answers to general and broad questions, because I think the way that I approach patients is can be so different person to person, depending on how they're coming in, depending on their prior experiences, depending on more specifically, maybe what's going on, but to give maybe a general overview, so I can at least answer the question partially, um, you know, I think a lot of it is just trying to figure out for each person, one, you know, like what's mechanism of injury? You know, can we give them a specific diagnosis? We know it's back pain specifically. A lot of times it is something that's more nonspecific in nature. So then when we look at those particular individuals, you know, we're really trying to find an approach that's going to work well for them and their lifestyle. So one thing about being in Colorado is that people out here in general are very active. They have active type goals. They want to be outdoors. They want to be in the gym. They want to be doing things. So when it comes to approaching care for them, a lot of them have a goal to not just get out of pain, but to also return to activities to some degree. So the nice thing about that for me is it oftentimes gives me a very clear direction in the way that we're going to approach things. And it's not going to be something where manual therapy is going to get them there. It's something where we're going to have to incorporate movement in some capacity to help facilitate towards their goals. And I think that's such a big thing in my care is there's nearly always an active proponent. And like you mentioned in the introduction, the manual therapy is more of an adjunct to care than it is being the primary focus.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. We, Think pretty much the same stuff of all that. Obviously, with Bridget being in your mentorship program, but what we hear a lot and we get hung up on is this basis of pain. Everyone gets so stuck on I have pain here and I have pain here. But how do you get your patients to kind of shift that focus away from being so hung up on their pain and not so much onto their like dysfunction almost?
2: Right. Uh, That's a that's a tough question and. Depending on the person, I think it can happen relatively quickly. It could be weeks or months worth of conversation to get them to that point where they can kind of step back and really look at the thing from a wider perspective because like you just mentioned, um, you know the primary reason a lot of people will come in is the pain, right? That, that, that's I hurt. It's affecting my life probably to some capacity. I want to stop hurting. that's kind of I think where a lot of people come in they have this tunnel vision surrounding the pain so being able to have purposeful and constructive conversations with them is 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 pretty much the direction we always lean into and uh, again I wish I could give very specific answers to, to this question but it's one of those things where I think if you can really start to talk to a patient and you can really get them to open up to you and talk to you about how that pain is affecting their life it's whether it is something active whether it's family stuff they can't pick up their or play with their kids things of that nature you start to see the things that I think are really important to them outside of the pain and if you can start to shift the conversation to well you know we're obviously trying to help with the pain we want that to go away but maybe if we can start to track how these other things are doing as well they start to see the importance more so maybe a functionality on a daily basis as opposed to just the pain. And I think that's such an important conversation to have is to figure out what is important to the patient outside of the pain or what is the pain or how is the pain negatively affecting them. And when we do that and they open up to us, it allows us to shift their focus to some other things. And if we can see improvements in those areas, sometimes the pain can persist, but it just doesn't matter as much to them anymore because they can see the improvements in these other areas.
1: So, I'm going to kind of ask a question based off of what we, I think it was week three we discussed this. I don't know if Mm -hmm. someone, you might have proposed it as a question actually. Um, With the patients that come in, as like, let's say it's just a new patient, how do you deal with the patient that says, Well, my last Cairo, he would X ray me to show me what specifically was wrong with my spine? I loved this point. Like, it got me so into the topic. But like, so they said, My last Cairo, he would X ray me and he'd show me specifically what was wrong with my spine, you don't do x-rays. So how do you know what's wrong with me? So how do you go about like explaining or educating the patient on why this is like, not a very up to date concept anymore?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one, because a lot of people will have come in with previous chiropractic care. And a lot of times that will have consisted of imaging to some capacity and probably language that maybe some of us are more so trying to avoid these days. Um, It's one of those things where, similar to my last point, I think this really starts in the sense of having conversation and then also educating the patient on why we might take x rays, or any imaging, and how that would necessarily, or maybe not affect how we're treating people. So I think people that maybe you know had an x-ray they've had lines drawn all over it people are like oh this is your luxation. this is where the problem is and you know the wording i'll use now is not the wording i'd probably choose to use with the patient but to some capacity it has to be that you know it's okay to have a quote unquote abnormal looking spine that's just normal right there is no such thing as an ideal spine a perfect curvature things of that nature so I, I think, you know I always go back to some of these examples just to get people to realize that our bodies aren't supposed to be symmetrical and aligned. And like, you know, if some of them are one, our bodies are not symmetrical, right? If you split us right down the middle, one side is gonna look different than the other. We're dominant on one side. Like if you played any type of sports, you probably were dominant on one side for some type of movement compared to another. So in that regard, I'll ask people, like, do you think that it makes sense that one, that we should be in perfect symmetry at all times. Because I think when they talk about subluxations and getting ourselves aligned, that's kind of one of the most foundational things that they're always after. We want curvature here, we want alignment here, all these things. So we're going off this very mechanical model that doesn't make sense for a human body and the way that we live our lives. So a lot of times I'll propose questions like that to get someone to realize for themselves that that idea doesn't make sense. Because to me, if we sit here and just say, no, they're wrong, this is the way that it is, and we just start spinning off all these facts and you know, basically tell them that the care they received before was a bunch of crap, and their chiropractor was full of crap, and all of these things, we come off kind of looking like an asshole, because we're just like, we're this new person, they don't know us yet, we're talking down on someone they've seen before, whether we're what right or not. I don't think it really matters because they may have had a fantastic relationship with their previous practitioner. Maybe they moved to the area and they're just trying to find someone new and now we're shitting all over the person they saw before. Uh, we've talked about this in the mentorship group. I don't think that's gonna work very well for you. You're gonna kind of look like a jerk. So to me, if we can bring up some of these points, ask questions to get the patient to come to these conclusions on their own, now they're like, oh, like, I guess that does make sense. Or maybe it doesn't matter so much that I have a very mild scoliosis here or that my shoulder moves differently than that side. And now I kind of see why maybe that picture doesn't make as much sense for me because these things that might show up as quote unquote abnormal, maybe that's just normal for me. So to draw them or to lead them to that own conclusion, now I think I can start to have conversation around maybe some of the points that I want to make but can't make until they're aware of kind of my thought process in treatment.
1: Gotcha. Um kind of going off of that. So as I'm going to take a different approach for more of a business owner perspective when you talked about how patients like they don't want to be told not that they don't want to be told but they don't want to be told that the person they were seeing was wrong and what you're doing is completely right. So as a business owner if you have a new patient who was coming from let's say someone that was like a 10 to 15 minute appointment adjusted them did maybe a little bit of soft tissue therapy and then probably threw like heat on them do you still try to implement some of that stuff to show them that there is there was some importance to them wanting to take care of their body and all that or is it something that you say listen like that was all okay that you were doing it but this is my approach you know what I mean like without coming off as you know what I mean like I don't I don't really know if I'm phrasing my question correctly if it makes sense but Just more from that whole being an owner of the practice kind of perspective, how do you avoid pushing people away by implementing what you want to do, but not making them feel stupid for what they did before?
2: Sure. No, that's a fantastic question. And this is one that I'm sure I've messed up many times throughout my career where I was probably way too straightforward with the I wanted to approach things and did not take the patience thoughts and considerations into consideration for myself when we were trying to plan the approach that we were going to take because i think you know again this is something that we've discussed in the group but to a degree we have to meet the patient where they're at we can't just come on 100% with what we think is best because at the end of the day it's not, it really isn't always about what we think is best a lot of times it's more about where the patient is at and maybe what they're ready for at that point in time. So if someone has only been adjusted and maybe only been in five to 10 minute appointments their entire life, they've been seen by a chiropractor since they were a kid, they've only known something their whole life and I come at them from a completely different approach, they might just walk out the door and never come back. So is it is it better for me to give them some of the stuff that makes them comfortable to open up the conversation to some of the things that you know, maybe for myself, I think is gonna be beneficial for them. We don't always know these things, but I think it's gonna be helpful for them in the long run. When we know that for most people, giving them manual therapy is not bad. I mean, it's, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up in this conversation where it's, you know, we have these evidence-based chiropractors and we never do manual therapy and we're so anti everything. But to me, it's just figuring out like, when is it something that's appropriate to use? it has nothing to do with something being the best thing or the worst thing or the right thing or the wrong thing it's more about what is an appropriate approach to care for a given individual at that point in time for some people it might be way more heavy on the manual therapy early on to get their buy into these other things because at a certain point you know maybe they're not getting the results they want or they because they trust you now they're more open to your ideas. And again, I, I understand that for me being in the market and the area that I am, I'm very lucky that most people already choose to be active here. So it's not a hard discussion for me to convince people that, okay, this should be a part of our plan. I understand there's probably areas of the country where that's a much harder conversation to have. Um, but But for me, it, it is. It's always a balance of really trying to get a read on the patient, which it's something that's hard to teach. I think it's just, you learn it through communication, you learn it through body language, you kind of get a feel for, as you're starting to have discussion with them, You know, are they buying into it? Do they like it? Or you can, can you start to see them fading away from you? These are all things that are some of the soft skills that I think we develop over our careers just to be able to get a read on, okay, I can push harder into maybe more active roles now or we need to back off and we need to stick into more of a passive type therapy because that's what's going to be comfortable for them so it it is it's and i think this is such a challenge in that people want to have an easy way to treat people where it's i just do the same thing all the time i just adjust i just do art i just do exercise but to me the where where the challenge lies is how do we combine all of these skills that we've developed through school through seminars through you know working with other people through our own personal experiences through reading research just all of the knowledge that we have how do we combine that in a given moment to come up with a truly individualized plan for each person i just i think that's very rare in our profession and i think it's something that we really have an opportunity to help a lot of people if we can listen and if we can use our knowledge and skills to come up with these plans that really make sense for each person.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think the psychological component of care is something that's really undervalued and almost underutilized as well in something like, in in any case really. Now, before we got on here, Bridget and I were talking a little bit about the common sense model that she had mentioned. She said that you were very, very firm and very passionate about this. So I was just wondering if you could explain what that common sense model would be.
2: Sure. Uh, You know, to me, the, the common sense model, it's not an approach to care. What it really is for me is a way to try and understand from a patient's perspective how their viewing a situation Uh, a lot of times for us it's pain how are they understanding the pain or the injury that's going on and then how might that affect how they're choosing to react to the pain or injury which I think a lot of times can guide us into the way that we're going to care for them okay Um, so I think the common sense model might be something that maybe not quite as many many people have heard of Um, but basically what it says is that again, we'll use pain as our example here, but when when a person is in pain, based on their own individual experiences, they're essentially going to frame their own view of what's going on with that pain to make it make sense for them. And each person's view will be very individualized to them based on their own experiences. So I think an example I used in the group was that now let's say we have two patients who have back pain. One of them gets back pain maybe once or twice a year. He goes to the chiropractor, he gets adjusted. Usually within a few days, he feels better. Patient two has really bad back pain. It's been going on for three years, has tried getting adjusted, has tried PT, has tried everything. Pain hasn't gone away. Do you think these two individuals will view back pain from a different perspective? Probably, right? One's going to be like, oh, it's not a big deal. It happens every now and then. It's not very serious. I go see someone, we fix it. The other person dealing with it for a long time might be helpless. Maybe it's negatively affecting other aspects of their life. Maybe it's led to depression, disability, inability to do work or other things that maybe bring them happiness. So to them, the representation of back pain will be very different. Whereas I think a lot of people just want back pain patients together. Like you just all back pain. It's back pain here, back pain, it doesn't matter, right? But those two back pain experiences are very different. So if we start to think about what's going on from the person's perspective, and to me, this is why communication is so important in a visit and giving the patient an opportunity to speak, we start to get an idea of how they're viewing their pain the way that they speak to us will tell us, like, are they afraid that they're never going to be out of pain? Are they worried because they haven't been able to go to work and they're having a hard time maybe supporting their family? Like there's all these other details that start to come into play. And we know that pain is such a complex thing that if we start to figure out that there's other things going on that might also be contributing to their pain, it gives us some ideas when it comes to care and the way that we're also going to then communicate back with them because now we know specifically how to get to them because we understand the things that are important to them. So to me, the common sense model, it's really just a way for us to kind of view how the patients are representing what's going on, which then can help us figure out how we're gonna communicate, educate, and approach treatment with that person. And you know, the way that these people develop their representations is usually based off of two things. The first one is like just their concrete experience. Like what have they felt? What have they experienced with this particular injury or type of pain? The second thing that we need to also be aware of is more, I think they call it the abstract um, the abstract form of it. And and when what they're doing with that is, it, it's, it's not their experience, but it might be the things that they've heard or seen. So maybe they've gone on YouTube, maybe they've been on TikTok, maybe they have a friend that experienced this, that they told them something that may or may not be true. We don't know. But all those ideas are in the person's head. And I think one thing we see, especially these days, is most people have probably either Googled what to do. They've been on TikTok or Instagram looking for ideas or trying to self-diagnose these things. And we know there's a bazillion videos out there that say, you should do this, you should do that, you should avoid this. So we need to understand that when people come in, they've already been exposed to these types of things. So that's kind of the second layer. It's not just their experience with what's been going on. It's also all the other things that they've heard or have, have influenced the way that they think about the situation. So yeah, it, to me, it's just figuring out how they're considering the situation, how they're viewing what's going on to guide us in, in a way that's gonna be most appropriate for that particular person.
1: It's funny, cause this, that literally that last little bit you just said um, had a lot to do with what I just dealt with today at the VA. Um, we had a patient who she came from an outside chiropractor and she literally came in and she told us, she was like, I wasn't in significant pain until I saw my chiropractor about three weeks ago. And she was like, it was my first time going to see him ever. He x-rayed me. He told me my cervical lordosis was reversed. Uh, he told me, and this is all off an x-ray, by the way, this next part, he goes, he must have told her that she had like three disc bulges and- Then she came in and she was just like, yeah, so like now I'm in a lot of pain. And like my doc today was just like, well, wait, you just said you weren't in pain before you saw him. And all he did was took an x-ray. Now you're in pain. And she goes, well, did you hear everything I just said? And she like immediately associated like everything he said with like, I should be in pain. So like now, because he said that, like her whole, like how she conceptualized everything was just like, okay, this is so bad. So I'm in pain. And, like, we did all these tests with her and everything. We tried to show her that, like, listen, like, it's not as bad as you're thinking it is. But she was so convinced now. She was just, like, no, like, like it's bad. Like, he told me all this. And it even was to the point that, like, the doc, that my doc at the VA was just, like, I don't even know why he told you of bulges. Like, you got an x-ray done. Like, he can't even read that on an x-ray. And she was just, like, no, that's what he said. And, like, she was so stuck on it. So, like, yeah, that's why I, I think it's huge that you brought this up. Because I think that this episode will be good for a lot of patience too if like any you know just like regular active people are listening to it um just because like that stuff can happen and outside factors can definitely play a huge role in how they almost convince us of what we should be feeling
2: you know yeah I think it's pretty it's pretty eye-opening when you have an experience like that and you see someone who's in pain pretty much only because somebody said something to them Right. We talk about this, we see this in the literature all the time about the nocebic effects of language and communication and just maybe environment for certain patients and how we can literally make people have pain just by saying things. And then to see that in real life with a real patient, you know, I think sometimes we have this disconnect with like what we read in the literature and it never really matches up exactly with what we see that happens all the time. But sometimes you see things and you're know, like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what happened. Is this other practitioner made up a bunch of stuff that you know is probably not true? But or they worded things in a way that were very threatening that made someone feel awful, and then they manifest pain. And this goes just it's another way to point to the complexity of pain. And it's not just harm. It's not just injury. It's not just tissue damage. It can be so many other things and. I think hearing examples like that really goes to show us how complex in nature it can be, but how dangerous it is to not be able to effectively communicate. And this doesn't just happen in our profession. It happens probably in most medical professions where most doctors or practitioners are are not aware of these things. So they just kind of say whatever they wanna say, or they're in a rush. So they, here's your diagnosis, yada, 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 but they don't really give you any information or details around it or what that means. And then all of a sudden people feel worse. So it, it's it's and then I don't say it's exciting, but like it's 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 interesting to see these things in real life because you you really get to see the power of, of of language and communication.
1: Yeah, and I mean as we've talked about in the mentorship, like communication is obviously such a huge component to all of it, and it's something that I think uh, in school you don't realize how big it is because you're always just like thinking about like how to diagnose, looking for red flags, all that, how to be a good chiropractor rather than a good clinician um so speaking of your mentorship can you just talk about um just talk about the mentorship a little bit and what the future holds for that because i know i've had a few people who when i've reposted your stuff they've kind of inquired about it um mm-hmm. and not that like i didn't know what to tell them but i was just more of like a kind of stay tuned kind of thing just so like mm-hmm. um, that they you know they don't just like drop the idea altogether. so just tell our viewers mm-hmm. a little bit about um what the mentorship's about and yeah, what the future holds for it.
2: Sure. Um, so the clinical concepts mentorship was, it's an idea i would had for a while. I, I think I just didn't know how I wanted to approach it because to me, what it the mentorship group is really all about is trying to create a group where like-minded clinicians can come together to maybe learn some of the things that you didn't get in school, to share ideas, to talk about different strategies and ways that we can really improve our overall ability to provide high level patient care. So to me, it was more about developing things like critical thinking skills, you know, talking about different treatment strategies, talking about really anything that can, we can say is related to, to patient care And the reason I wanted to do this was because when when I looked around for me, especially when I graduated, so again, I graduated back in 2013 and starting fresh in 2014, I went right into starting my own practice. And at the time, social media wasn't nearly as big as it is now. So when I was looking around and trying to grow personally, I didn't know what to do other than to take seminars. And I took a lot of things that maybe helped a little bit, maybe looking back didn't really help at all, but like that was the exposure that I got to continued learning after school. So to me, like, I know that what you're getting in school right now is like you just said, it's preparing you to be a chiropractor, like what, what most people would think of as a chiropractor, right? but not so much beyond that, not developing in some of these other areas where we know can be really important to be a strong clinician at the end of the day. So I'm not gonna sit here and say that I'm the world's foremost expert in this area. I'm learning stuff every day. I mean, to me, that's a good thing. Like I, 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 want, I never wanna feel like I'm there because that just can't happen, right? There's always new stuff to learn. But I felt like I, I wanted to at least bring people together in a way that we could start to learn some of these things that maybe you didn't get in school that maybe will help us as a whole get better. Because I've learned some stuff from you guys along the way too. And to me, that's what this is all about. It's about having a positive change in this profession and getting more, especially chiropractors, but this probably applies in some other fields too, but especially chiropractors to start to think outside of this very small box that for whatever reason we continue to try to work within. You know, I mean, I look at where our profession came from, and is the story a little bit crazy? Yeah, it is. Were we doing whack-ups back then? Yeah. But I mean, to me, it's like you look at Western medicine in the late 1800s. I'm sure they were doing a whole lot of crazy stuff too, right? But what's the difference? They have consistently evolved over you know, the last 130 years, where I'd say we've evolved very little over that period of time. And with the availability of just science and research and learning resources these days there's no excuse for us to not move past where this profession originated and i think that's where a lot of people want to continue to live and it's just you know does a profession need to split into two sides i don't know will we ever do something like that it, it's hard to say but to me it, it's such a challenge because what you're taught in school it, it, it really gives you a strong basis so like if that's all you're going to do you're just so underprepared to really work with people in the real world but i think that you know where the, the problem we run into is that we know that a lot of back pain just resolves on its own and we know that adjustments for a lot of people feel good so if people keep coming in you keep adjusting them they keep feeling good at the end of the day you think you're doing a good job i don't say you're doing a bad job you know you're, maybe you're helping them out on a particular day but are you in a position where you could do better Or there's patients that come in that you couldn't help because all you did was manual therapy and you didn't understand any other approach to take with them. And and for me, like that's where my practice has kind of evolved to. I see very few acute patients these days. Most of my patient base right now is is chronic pain. Um, So there's going to be a slightly different approach there. But it's about being a well-rounded clinician. It's about feeling comfortable or at least somewhat confident in approaching anyone that walks in the door and that. The second that, oh my God, manual therapy didn't work for this person, we don't freak out because we have so many other things to fall back into. And the other thing I know we didn't get a chance to really talk too much about, but when we look at what guidelines are these days for high-level musculoskeletal care, especially for chronic pain, manual therapy is not one of those things that we should be relying on. We know this now. So why do we continuously do this with our patients? Well, for a lot of us, we just don't know any better, but Kind of to bring it back to the mentorship group like that's kind of what i want this group to be is for people that want to explore outside of that that small area that traditional chiropractic works within to expand your skill set to be able to be more confident to handle those tougher patients that walk in the door and to feel confident that you really are providing the best care you possibly can to that person and it's not just doing the minimum amount of work it's really pushing to do the best that you can with each patient and having the ability to do it. Because if you haven't learned anything outside of school and you do the bare minimum for your continuing education, all the stuff that's easy and you go to it and you just hang out with friends and don't learn a whole lot, to be fair, the the amount of good continuing education out there maybe isn't, maybe it's not that abundant, (laughs) which is probably another challenge. Um, but you know, uh, that's another reason that this group is here. Like, no, it's not continuing education, but it is an opportunity, I think, for people to learn. And I, to me, what I see now, especially compared to when I grad when I graduated, there are so many more students and young docs now that want to do more. This is so encouraging for me. It was almost non-existent when I graduated. There are so many more of you now, and this is just it's so encouraging for the profession, and it makes i just not, I don't mean to get sentimental, but this does make me really, really happy to see people wanting to do more, wanting to step up their ability to provide good care. Because it's, even if you were able to help one person in your whole career that no one else could help, that means a lot to that person. And if we're really in this for, for patient care and providing high level healthcare for people, they might not be able to get it anywhere else. We could be in position to help some people where literally no one else could help them. Because of our scope of practice in those states, we get the opportunity to do so many different things with our patients, whether it's the manual therapy, whether it's getting them in the gym, having them do exercise, whether it's just sitting down and talking to them about what's going on. I've had initial visits where we really just talked for 60, 75 minutes and opposite to your example before they felt better walking out the door, having not done anything, not even movement, not even manual therapy, literally just talking to them. So that goes back to meeting the patient where they're at and figuring out what do they need at that point in time. And that's really what I want people to feel at least slightly more prepared for coming out of this mentorship group.
0: That's awesome. That's an awesome way to end it all and all of that. And yeah, I really feel like school really prepares you to be really good in the box of chiropractic, but doesn't give you the means to break out of that box almost well we thank you very much for coming on today and why don't we let you plug your socials and we'll end this thing like we should
2: uh so instagram is um at active underscore perform underscore cairo and then the mentorship group is clinical underscore concepts um yeah and we're, we're the first first round of the mentorship group is going to be wrapping up here pretty soon, but I'm looking to start the next uh, next cohort probably within the next two to three months. So um, I'm looking for really anyone who wants to be a part of a group that is really pushing to make this profession better. And at the end of the day, I think that's what this is all about. So thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it and giving me the chance to talk about some things that are really important to me.